Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. If you're local, come check come check us out. Hang out with us one Sunday morning. Our service is at 1030 a.m. If you're not local but looking for a good Bible teaching church, you can watch online. Uh, check us out. Again, service is at 1030, but you can access our live stream on our YouTube channel, which is calvary316.live, or facebook.com slash calvary316. So very easy. Uh, you can learn all about the church by visiting calvary316.com. Uh, I am the husband of a wonderful Jessica Adams and the father of three, and I'm so glad that you're joining me tonight. As always, I'm joined in studio uh, by the man that needs no introduction, uh, Sir Creighton Vaughn. Creighton, how are you? Okay, so, there for we whatever go. reason, your mic was <laughs> muted, and the recording is somewhat uh, going to need a little bit of editing okay, for the cool. podcast. So uh, if you're getting this, and there was like a weird audio glitch right there, and you're like, I'm talking to someone that you can't hear, uh, that was our fault, our bad. Uh, like Creighton was saying, we do have a bit of a different type of episode <clears throat> tonight. Uh, the merry cast of characters, is they're not with us tonight. Uh, Kyle has got a sick kid at home, and... Uh, Nick had to uh, fulfill an obligation at the church, and uh, I have no idea what Derek was doing tonight. Justin, I bring up, I bring this up to mention that Justin, um, uh, his father. So, just if you're a fan of the show, uh, Spice Daddy, as we you're call a fan him, of Justin, if you're a fan of Justin, which we all are, uh, his father is um, is having major surgery uh, in the morning uh, for on his heart, and so we just want to send out uh, our love to Butch and, and Karen and, and the Holcomb family. Uh, just. Please keep uh, butching your prayers. Uh, lift up uh, Justin and his siblings as well. So uh, much love, support, prayers uh, out for them. I do want to just, before we kind of get to what, what will make this episode a little different today, I do want to just kind of jump in, Creighton. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'm kind of torn a little bit um, with how much um, I should give people updates regarding my health, um, how much people care or how much people don't care. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I, you know, I don't want to talk too much about something that people don't care about. Uh, but, you know, I've had, and you and I have talked about this, so you kind of know the story, but I haven't mentioned it on the show. Just the weird, the weird thing that happened with the neurology, the neurologist. Should I, should I kind of share? You think the audience should hear a little bit of an update regarding just the, the, the neurologist and kind of the weird story that happened with all of that? I mean, it's certainly interesting, and uh, it's always nice to hear that, hey, maybe you shouldn't trust your doctors as much. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me explain kind of a, a series of events that have happened. So as, as most of you know, um, one of the residual effects I've had um, from the, the lengthy time I was in a coma and in the ICU uh, is that I'm doing a lot of occupational therapy uh, to get my arms working right, my shoulders back in joint, uh, my fingers and the dexterity, my wrists. Um, lots of therapy to just try to get my arms back. And so uh, I was, uh, my therapist recommended I go see a neurologist to try to get to a little bit of the underlying causations for what, what's going on. And so I went on a Tuesday, met with this neurologist. He did some tests. He was blown away by my story. He was like, I can't believe you're, you're here. Um, you're a miracle. Um, but, you know, you, I kind of have bad news. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of bracing myself for it. He has... He says, you know, you, you have what you're like a textbook case of what's known as ICU neuropathy. Uh, the fancier definition is critical illness polyneuropathy. Um, and then he had done some tests and, and he heard what medication, a kidney failure, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so I'm like, okay, doc, that's great. ICU neuropathy. Uh, what's the prognosis for something like that? And he said, Zach, you're, you're not looking at months of recovery. Uh, nerves, re- nerves regenerate. There's a lot we don't know, but they do regenerate. Uh, it can take a lot of time. 
Uh, I think you'll make a full recovery, but it could take years, not months. And that, man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I came mm-hmm. home, told Jessica about the appointment. We cried that night. Uh, it was rough. Um, in my mind, I'm just imagining that I'm not going to be able to play catch with my boys until they're teenagers. Um, it just was a heavy, it just was heavy. Um, <clears throat> well, we kind of, I kind of threw my own pity party that Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday kind of got back to a little bit of resolve. Uh, I'm going to get better. I'm going to work hard. Uh, and then I went into the office Thursday. I went into the office to start <coughs> studying for Matthew chapter 12. I opened up my Bible. I had not read ahead at all. And, uh, I hit a, a Bible study. I start prepping and it's Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. And I'm like, of all of the passages for me to land on this week, when I get this news, um, I just started bawling. I, I'm just like, Lord, I don't, I've never been more envious of, of somebody in the Bible. Like he had one good hand. He had a withered hand and I've got like, you know, two pool noodles, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with. And, and yet the Lord spoke to me and he was like, Zach, do you believe that the Lord, that, that I will heal you? Um, and that I have a, a plan for all of this. And I, and I had to check it and was like, Lord, I have faith. I, I really had a moment where I kind of experienced what my wife had gone through, where she would get a bad diagnosis and she would check her faith, you know, and it was like, but God, God, you're in control and I'm going to trust you. And so it was like, all right, I got to trust you. So I taught that passage on Sunday. I taught it in a way I would have never had if I hadn't have gone through this experience. The week after I go on Thursday to get two tests done to confirm the diagnosis, um, an electro, uh, a, a neural connectivity test and an EMG test. Both were brutal, not fun, but throughout the course of these tests, I noticed that the neurologist performing the exam is talking to his assistant and it's, uh, like at some point I'm like, Hey, are you guys going to fill me in on the joke? You know, like what's going on? And so when we got done, he said, you know, I, I assume you've Googled ICU neuropathy. And I said, yes, I have. And it's not good. He goes, no, that's not good at all. Um, that being said, you have zero evidence of any type of neuropathy. Um, in fact, it's your radial nerve pinched on the back of your arms because of your time in a coma. That just give it a few more months. You'll be good. Like it'll, it'll all work itself out. So I, I like leave the neurology uh, center, like walking on cloud nine. Mm-hmm. So I finally go for my follow-up back to the original neurologist that gave me this diagnosis. And that was last week or the week before. And so I go in and, and he enters the room, the exam room. And he says, uh, he says, I don't understand you. I said, well, that's, that's a great way to start a meeting doc. <laughs> um, I said, how so he goes, so I assume you read the report and you know that the report completely contradicts my diagnosis. I said, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the elephant in the room. You got it wrong. And he goes, I did not get it wrong. I, 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 I've been doing this a long time. You are a hundred percent textbook ICU neuropathy. Like this is not a mistake. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not revoking my original diagnosis. I mean, I did a test on you. It, it was confirmed. That being said, I, I can't argue with the <clears throat> findings of the test that you had done that you don't have any neuropathy. He said, so the only conclusion I have is that at some point between when I saw you and when you got the test done, something happened and the neuropathy went away. That's wild. And I'm like, well, let me tell you what happened, doc. And I, so I told him about teaching, you know, in Matthew 12 and Jesus healing the man with the withered hand. And he, I don't think he's a believer. He was like, well, I don't know about all that, but you're weird. And <laughs> it was like, okay, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that the Lord healed me of 
of neuropathy, but maybe the Lord healed me of neuropathy. It's just uh, something I would share. Um, and then the last week, uh, as, as my buddy Mike, who I'm about to introduce, as he was teaching, so he was filling in for me. I had been on vacation. I'm sitting in the back of the sanctuary while you're teaching, and uh, I got my arm here. Let me see if I can get it high enough. I, I got my arm like up on this table, and Larry, who's been on the show before, was sitting next to me, and out of nowhere, I just kind of went like this. <laughs> and I looked down, and that, I can't do that with this, with this one yet. Like, I could move my right, wrist. That's a big hurdle, correct? Oh, that's the only thing, the only causation for that is the, the nerve healed. That's awesome. Which is why I've not done any therapy on my wrist, because it, like, this doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, until the nerve is fixed, until the nerve heals... You know, we can do things to keep the muscles strong, mm-hmm. but it's it's a like wrist drop or wrist palsy is completely neurological. It's, it's the damaging of that radial nerve. And so I'm sitting back there and I lift my wrist. <laughs> I'm like, Larry, look, as Mike's <laughs> teaching. And I'm lifting my wrist and Jessica sees me from across the sanctuary. I'm like, <laughs> you know, my, my wrist is moving. So uh, God's been good. I think he's... Um, I do think it's a bit of a joke because I, I I did tell the Lord that, you know, I'm jealous of the guy who had one good arm. Mm-hmm. And now you have one good arm. And wrist. now I have one good arm. It's like, yeah. be careful what you pray for. God has a sense of humor. God does have a sense of humor. So today's a different episode. So typically this is an unscripted Bible study. Creighton drops a topic. It's my job to turn this uh, topic or passage of scripture or, or thought into some version of a coherent Bible study. And then the merry band of, 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 of men are with me to help. Tonight we're doing something different. And, uh, and it's a little bit of a throwback to something we did frequently in earlier manifestations of the Outlaw Radio Show. And that's, it's an interview. Uh, I've invited a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Mike Bauer, uh, to join Creighton and I tonight uh, to share his testimony. So let me just get this out of the way. Mike, thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, what Thanks do you think of the studio? Me. You glad glad you're here, right? Yep. The only thing I have against Mike Bauer is that he is a diehard Tennessee fan. Go Vols! Go Vols! Uh, I, I there's two older men in my life that are volunteer fans, Joe and Mike. Um, I don't know what I did, you know, as a Georgia Bulldog fan to have, you know, good old Rocky Top. That's right. Good old Rocky Top. Now. They're coming back. They're coming back. Hey, we've got a big game coming up, the dogs versus the, the volunteers for sure. So uh, Mike has been coming to Calvary 316 um, for, what, two years? Maybe a little bit longer than that. Um, I can't remember. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a little while, and, and one of the things that um, I really connected, Mike is a former pastor. We're going to get to his story. Um, had retired and moved down into our area to be, be around grandkids. And, um, and just as a young pastor myself, it was like, here, I got this guy that's been in ministry for forever. And, and so we started grabbing lunch together and uh, getting to know each other. And then when I went down, Mike filled in uh, the pulpit, taught for me a couple weeks ago, just become a real dear brother and friend. My dad says hello, by the way, has the utmost respect for you. Uh, I told him you're going to be on the show tonight. He's like, Mike's a good guy. Uh, so I, you know, hopefully he'll tune in and, and watch this evening. Uh, Mike, you have a very, uh, um, I would say unconventional story, um, a, a bit of a different testimony. I think it's powerful, very powerful. You and I have sat down and kind of talked about this at length um, in previous sittings. Um, but can you kind of take us all the way back to the beginning, your upbringing, um, 
and just kind of carry that up to how you kind of got to know the Lord. Because you didn't grow up necessarily in a religious home, did you? Well, we went to church, but um, um, I'll, I'll get to that once I get started. But Get yeah. started. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I grew up in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, um, and I moved there when we were about four. And my life really consisted from grammar school all the way through college uh, with baseball. Baseball, football, basketball, but my real passion was baseball. And uh, Greatest sport God ever made. Yeah, baseball. I think my two greatest passions were baseball and girls. <laughs> um, and I, of course, went to school there. When I was eight years old, we went to a, a church in Chattanooga called Concord Baptist Church. Now you're in the South, deep South. How, like, like, give us a time frame. So you're you're it's, about seventy years old now, give or take. Yeah, right? I'm seventy. So in, uh, <laughs> when I went to uh, first grade, I was uh, uh, in 1958. Okay, so I was we're, born in 1952. So we're late fifties, early sixties. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're eight. Yep. Sunday yep. school. So um, anyway, made a profession of faith was was at eight years old. Um, but it, it was just that, that's, it was not a relationship. It was just out of emotion and what have you. And so I just continued to, um, uh, uh, love baseball. That was, that was my idol was baseball and sports. And, um, when I got into high school, of course I would go to church. Mother and dad would take me to church. Some dad quit going, it was just kind of spotty type of thing. Uh, eventually, as I got into uh, high school, I, I didn't go hardly any. And um, went to a high school called Tyner High School. Graduated from there, did well. Um, but at the end of my high school career, there were some um, friends who... Uh, introduced me to the experience of marijuana. Okay. We, we studied it in class. No one really knew what it was in health class. And then... Um, so this is late 60s, give or take. This was like uh, 69, 1969. Okay. And I experimented with it. Just there was a few of us. And then it just uh, moved on to something else eventually. It was in uh, college. And before I got deep into it, I... Was at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Played baseball there, fraternity, all the rest of it. Uh, wasn't doing very well in school. I I actually uh, quit the the baseball team uh, and just was going downhill. And um, uh, they used to tell me that I looked like uh, Eric Clapton. My hair was long and uh, just was really doing a lot of harmful stuff. I'm trying to imagine you with long hair. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had a little bit of that now. <laughs> um, but um, I, I was just going down a dead end street. I was, uh, I had, uh, you know, cut my hair. I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, you know, get back in college. I'd quit for about six months and had a scholarship, and they re, they took re that away, reinstated right. me oh, they did. to okay. that. Uh, from um, a man that worked with my father. And so I was had gotten married while I was in college and uh, was working two jobs, a full-time job and a part-time job, and going full-time at the University of Tennessee. 
So how old are you at this point? I was about 20, 21. Okay. Um, probably 21. And um, I worked with my father in the part-time job. It was Mountain City Club in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I did a lot of things there. But on the weekend, uh, it was a businessman's club. And they would have lunch there and play pool and parties and what have you. There was a few men that lived there as well um, on the top floor. And so I would work the, um, was a buffet clerk, which uh, they had a, the old timey um, phone operating system where you'd take the plug okay. and plug it in and, and, uh, yeah. and did that. But on Sundays, it was fairly slow and one of the members would come down and, you know, I'd make him a beer or martini, what have you, but it was kind of slow. And I started taking my Bible. I had a, a Bible because I, I just was really searching I tried different religions, uh, but nothing ever brought me any hope or satisfaction. So I, I just figured, you know, I was taught that um, uh, God created mm-hmm. heaven and earth, and that um, if if I want to know how to get to heaven, someone asked me one day on the street in downtown Chattanooga. It was one of these street preachers said, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Well, I didn't know that. So that hits you. That hit me. And so I figured, you know, I, if, if, any, if I want to know how to go to heaven, God, I, I just need to find out from God. So I started reading the Bible. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. But I remember uh, at the uh, working one Sunday, I just had my Bible, and it was quiet, nobody there. I just flipped it open like a, a roulette you know, type of thing. Which is very dangerous. Yeah. Look down, and it, it was a, it turned to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15. It says, Woe unto the man who giveth his neighbor drink. Well, that's what I did. I was a, bar- <laughs> I was a bartender, as well as, you know, other things. Of all the passages to flip open to, right? Yeah. Well, God knew what he was doing. It's and I just, humor, yes. Yeah. So um, I was working or the state of Tennessee in the penal institution. It's called the Chattanooga Community Release Center. I was a food service manager and a trust fund accountant there. And uh, I'd been going back to church at Concord, uh, where I grew up in, and there was a a man there, a youth pastor named David Busby. And maybe some of the listeners know of David. David's in heaven now. Uh, He had cystic fibrosis, lived 20 years longer than he should have. Wonderful guy. helped me greatly, but I watched his life. I was going back to church, and, um, and, and I watched him. I said, he's got something I don't have. He had joy, and he, had, hmm. he, he loved life, and I didn't. And so I, uh, we were, went to a Sunday night service where they had a, um, a training union in, in the Baptist church at that time, and uh, they had... We went through a sin list. These are, these were people my age, young adults, and we went through this sin list. And so you went through all the sins, and, you know, you confessed all the sins. Uh, <laughs> d- didn't didn't make any difference. I was miserable. Yeah. Didn't sleep that night at all. Went to work the next day at the community release You're center. like, I already know something's wrong. I don't need to list it all out. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, just, uh, I, I just couldn't take it anymore, and so... Uh, I knelt down in a little one-person bathroom, hugged the commode, and just turned my life over to Jesus, and he saved me. 
And uh, it truly was a Damascus Road experience because when I, when I got up, when I quit praying, it was like a thousand pounds was lifted from my shoulders. It was amazing. And um, I, I, uh, I, I mean, I was just, I knew it was different. I knew that Jesus entered me and he saved me. And so I went and picked up my wife and I said, I got saved today. And, uh, and I was telling everybody. And so I said, so we went to this bookstore. Okay, I'm going pa- to pause right there. I'm going to hold that thought because there's, there's two things. First, if you ever write a book about your life, it, sh- it should be something to the effect of, um, I encountered Jesus on the toilet <laughs> and, and a load was lifted off of me. You know, like, like that, you're the first person I've ever met that's like, yeah, I had a Damascus Road moment on a commode. Hey, Jesus can find you anywhere. That's you know? right. Uh, you were on you were on your throne, and you 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 kneeled down to the the one on the the throne. Yeah, I tell people, hey, listen, I've seen people get saved in a, a Volkswagen <laughs> under a basketball goal. I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. Gripping porcelain. <laughs> the other thing I do want to say, and and I just want to interject, just for those that might be watching, our our good friend Mike Bauer is sharing his testimony, and the thing I'm struck right off the bat about your testimony, I think this is such an encouragement, especially to a lot of parents out there. So. So Mike grew up in church, left, you know, in his teenage years, you know, goes to college, doesn't go back, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of in the world, doing his thing. And then in the process, like, of living in the world, you just felt empty. You felt like there, this, the world wasn't, you went out there, like, almost like the prodigal, you know, and, and you just, you felt bankrupt. And, and, and it was in that moment, though. Because of some of your upbringing, that it's like, I do know where I can go back to. You you tried some other religions, you tried this, you tried that, but it was like, at some point, all of this is leaving me empty. Maybe I'll go back. So it's just, you started back at the Bible and you started going back to church. And it was in the process of that. Like you got back to the word, you got around Christians and it didn't change overnight, but it was that important step, that returning and so for parents, like, I think this is why it's so important to have your kids in church and to make church a priority. And then even if, if one of your kids is, is out there in the world and they're running around and they're doing their thing and your heart's grieving and you're worried about them, um, you know, there's that passage, train up a child in the way that they should go and th- they won't depart from it. And I think even if they go wayward, they know they, they have a compass of, of how to come back. And when they're empty, um, and they look around and they're friendless and they're eating out of the pigsty and they're like, it's better to be a servant in my father's house than doing this. You know, they come back and, and we have a gracious father with open arms. So you give your life to the Lord, you're married, you're working a couple jobs, you're going to church and you are just, I mean, genuine hundred percent conversion. You can't keep quiet about it. You're telling everyone and anyone that would or even wouldn't listen, you're telling them about the Lord. So pick back up kind of at that juncture uh, in your life. You're about how old at this point? I'm 22. So you're 22, married, kids yet or no? No. So no kids, but you've given your life to Jesus. Kind of take it from there. Well, at that point when I, the day I got saved, I went and bought myself a Bible. I went to Lanham's Bible Bookstore in Chattanooga I just said, hey, I just got saved. I need a Bible. So he, this older gentleman got me a Bible, and I started reading it. I would read it to 2 o'clock in the morning. I would take it to school with me at the University of Tennessee. I, I, I consumed it. I couldn't 
I couldn't put it down. I would, I would read and, and pray and cry and read and pray and cry, just so joyful that God had saved me because there were many times in my life that God kept me from dying. I, I should either be dead or in prison, and God, I've got so many stories. I'm not going to go into any of that. Can we get so, one? Can we get one? Creighton, I mean, you're kind of curious. You, you hear that. It's like, I do. I think I would want one story. Of yeah, you either I, die I or definitely in want a story. Absolutely. Do you have one you can share? Well, I was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, living in Fort Lauderdale, and I was I was, it was in a house full of addicts and drug druggies and what have you, and um, uh, this there was this fellow from New York, and he wanted me to uh, move to New York with him, and uh, basically I I. I, I, you know, and, and so they were, they were shooting up cocaine and I'd already done, I'd done that one time. I said, I'm not going to do it again. And, and what came out of my mouth, uh, he said, oh, come on, man, you know, let's, let's do it. And, you know, we'll move up to New York. Well, I knew what was going to happen in New York. I was okay. going to end up dead. But uh, I said, no, I said, I told God I'd never do it again. I mean, <laughs> and, and you were surprised that you said that. Yeah. And uh, so he didn't push me. And so I was leaving. And at that moment, um, um, I had um, a pound of marijuana, and we had bought, bought about a pound of marijuana, uh, and I was taking it back to Chattanooga. And I was in a little MGB convertible, long hair. <laughs> I was getting ready to get on the turnpike, and I hit this guy in the rear end. And on the other side of the road was a uh, policeman. Oh, jeez. And I had, you know, I had pills, I had um, beer, I had marijuana. You had and, contraband. And so the guy got out of his car. It didn't damage his car. It damaged my front of my car. I said, just don't worry about it. And the cop didn't come over there. I got on the interstate and drove all the way back to Chattanooga. Uh, and, you know, I could have... If he had come over yeah. there, I could have been in jail. It would have been a different story. And so, yeah. as you're as you're kind of going through the washing of the word, and 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 these type of stories are coming to your mind, and you're looking back like the providence of God and His grace, mm. um, you know, just kind of continue continue that thought, just yeah. moving forward. Well, I mean, uh, I would I would witness once I got saved. I mean, you couldn't close my mouth. I mean. Um, <clears throat> all my buddies were drug buddies, and so I told them all about Jesus, and then they left me. And they, they left. They didn't bother me anymore. <laughs> That's the best way for a person, if you're in the wrong crowd and you get saved, just tell them about Jesus. It'll be like roaches coming out when the lights turned on. They scatter. They won't come you back. Either, you either have some really good friends or you, 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 you got rid of a lot of bad ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I was, I was going to church um, and reading my Bible. Uh, Dave asked me to do a retreat for the teenagers. And I mean, it was, it was uh, in my mind, was a disaster. I just wasn't ready for it, but um, had a good time. Um, went, to, went to seminary uh, too early, way too early. I, I mean, I was just graduated. I was a brand new Christian and I was thrust into seminary, and I graduated from University of Tennessee. Now, what, what, why the inclination to go to seminary at this uh, point? Just, I mean, I, was, I just felt like God was calling me to preach, and so there was people that were in seminary that 
encouraged me to go. It was it was a seminary there in Chattanooga that I went. And so um, you were like, God has a call in my life. Yeah, I, I feel this. Let me go to seminary. Yep. Okay. So, uh, but so you entered the cemetery. Yeah. Uh, for the next sixteen years, basically, I did uh, life based upon performance-based acceptance. I mean, I performed. I did it all in the flesh, ministry, life, marriage, um, you, you name it. Uh, I came to brokenness at salvation. That's what God was doing. He was bringing me to the end of myself uh, and the beginning of him, and I came to him and and saw the difference between a relationship and religion. Yeah. And I entered a relationship with him, but then I uh, had to be broken again 16, 17 years later. Um, because, so you're in ministry. You you go to semi, uh, you go to seminary. Yeah, I and left there and I went to Tampa, Florida. Served with my father-in-law. I was a youth pastor. Okay, assistant so pastor, your, fa- youth your, pastor. your father-in-law was pastoring a church. Yep. So you kind of you married a PK, a pastor's kid. Yeah. And so that's kind of where some of the connection was. There was a family dynamic and. Yep. So you ended up, you moved to Tampa, you're the youth pastor for, and you do this for 16 years or so? No, no, I was there for uh, two, three years. I can't remember. I felt like God was calling me to to start a church. So I went to Nashville, Tennessee in Bellevue, and we spent a couple of years there. I was young. Uh, The church was doing okay, but um, it, it it didn't make it. So I moved back and taught school in Orlando at a Christian school pastor that I knew there, and uh, uh, eventually uh, I went back over to Spring Hill, Florida, where my father-in-law, they moved the church from Tampa to, to Spring Hill, and then eventually I took that over, that church over, spent several years there, and um, left there, went back to Chattanooga, sold cars, I mean, I was just kind of not sure what I was going to do. There was- so you're, you took over the church, so you were in ministry for like you said, 16 years, various forms of that. How did you end up out of ministry? Like where, where, where did that story kind of develop? Well, there was a, there was a point where, um, my wife, uh, didn't want to stay in the marriage. I was, um, I was, uh, had started a lawn business, went back to Chattanooga. I didn't want to get in the car business. I was just kind of waiting on another opportunity okay. uh, type thing. Uh, but our, our marriage was in trouble. I tried to um, do everything I could to save our marriage. And, uh, but she decided that she did want to remain in the marriage. I had two uh, middle school uh, sons. And wherever she took them, I was going to move. I wasn't going to uh, right. leave my sons. So they didn't. They stayed there in Chattanooga. And um, so I was um, going, th- when I went through the, the divorce, I was, I was pretty crushed. So that's that second breaking that you that were That was the second breaking. About. And I came to the understanding of um, what many call the exchange life, the Christ life. Uh, and and realize that I'd been doing everything in the flesh in my own life. So that performance base that you were referring to a few minutes yeah. ago, that's yeah. that was the grand revelation. Yeah, I mean, and I hear people say, I'm going to live for God. I said, no, no, no. You're going to let Christ live his life through you. Right. And, 
And uh, so, but it took 16 years. Oh, of yeah. ministry and exactly. And, wow. Exactly, but um, it it was uh, it it was freeing. I mean, it freed me up tremendously. So I just started reading everything that I could, um, Calvary Road and Principles of Spiritual Growth and uh, different books and what have you. And let me, if you don't mind, let me ask you a question. Just for the audience, they might have the same the same thought. You know, you 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 use the way the description um, is freeing. Like it was very freeing. Like I felt free. Can you uh, unpack like what you mean by that just a little bit uh, for the audience? Just because there there are a lot of people that that don't describe their relationship with God as freeing. You know, you know. Well, I, I'm I'm obligated or I'm committed. Um, freeing. I know what you mean. Uh, but just for the audience that might not that might be in a similar place that they've been walking with God for years and they're tired and they feel like they don't measure up. And they're, they, you know, they read passages, there's no condemnation, but they don't feel that way. All they feel is condemnation and as though they're constantly a failure and that God is disappointed with them and that they're not ever living up to it. Like, unpack a little bit of, of what, what it was like for you, the freeingness. Well, it was just, um, I, I, I quit uh, trying and it's, started just trusting and resting in him and uh, uh, that it was there, it was it was it was there was no more um, burden on me to perform uh, in fact even if I tried to I realized all this performance all it does was it, it shackled me and kept me in spiritual prison. And finally, I just said, Lord, you know, I learned that Christ gave his life to me. You know, I think that, you know, the gospel is that Christ died for me in order to give his life to me, in order to live his life through me. And so I just started letting him live his life through me instead of me trying. I started trusting. It was all about grace. You know, we, we talk about grace in the circles that I grew up in. Uh, yeah, you're saved by grace. Or by grace you save through faith and right. not of yourselves. But it's 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 living by grace moment by moment. It's all of grace. Everything is of grace. And so that's freeing. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to perform. I don't have to make God love me. He loves me. Uh, he, that's just who he is. That's he's he's given me his identity. Uh, he made me righteous. He justified me. He, he gave me his holiness. And so uh, there's nothing I can do to improve upon that. My identity is in him. Amen. And Amen. for many years, my identity was in who I was with, a marriage, having a family, an intact family. Being a pastor. Pastor. Uh, um, all the other things was my identity. And so when I went through that divorce, all that went away. I, I, I lost my identity. I didn't know who I was. And, and fortunately, I was around the right kind of people, and especially an aunt that I had, uh, mm. that who had also come to brokenness and come to the understanding of the Christ life, that she helped me through that. And so, so it was an aunt, an aunt. An aunt, an Aunt Joe, And she's in heaven today, but just a, a, a tremendous woman. And um, we loved one another deeply. And she helped me greatly. And, and a sister. I had a sister who 
did the same thing. She went through a divorce and uh, just crushed her life. And, and uh, she walked alongside of me during those, those times. I was going to Woodland Park Baptist Church. Both My ex-wife and I were both going there. Initially, she wanted out. She didn't go anymore. I kept going. And Wayne Barber was the pastor. And he, uh, he, you know, he was in the ministry for many years and wasn't saved. Came to the understanding of, <laughs> of grace. And yeah. that's the, you know, he taught the, the, the message of grace. And so the church grew. I was just a part of it and got involved in, um, uh, eventually, as I began to heal, got involved in the single adult ministry. I didn't really want to. Now, how old are you at this point? I'm at... Um, I'm 40 years old. Okay. Yeah. So you're about my age, give or take. Yeah. And you've gone through a divorce. You have two middle school kids that you're doing everything to be dad. Yep. Yeah. You've come to the brokenness. The Lord stripped you of your identity, but you found one in him. You've been set free and God's doing this cool thing in your life. You're going to this church. You're plugged into the, the young adult ministry. Pick it up from there. Well, and uh, so, you know, I just was... I was focused on just uh, pursuing Christ, being the father that I could be. I didn't pursue the ex-wife. I just, I just moved on. I didn't move on. I was just keeping myself available. God, if you want to put this back together, then you can. Well, it was, it was just beyond that. There were other people involved and what yeah. have you. And so, um, but I just was a dad. I just focused on my kids and walking with the Lord, and God began to pull me up, and uh, he gave me a, a pretty good job, and um, I, I asked a good friend of mine who was a assistant pastor there, uh, Steve, and, yeah, you know, what about this singles ministry? And hoping he would encouraged me not to go, not to get involved. <laughs> right. And uh, he, yeah, he you should stay he, away from that. So. Yeah, he told me about it. And so I went, and I um, just, you know, sat and listened, and I kind of just kept going and going and, and made some friends and what have you. Um, and uh, th- there was a young lady there that um, I saw her character. Uh, she, I could tell she was a godly lady, but I just watched her from afar, you know, we right. <laughs> you know and, and so forth. And so, a um, good friend of mine and, and a girl in the, in the, got married, and um, so I, he, he, he tried to encourage me to ask her out, and uh, this, was, this was way beyond the point where I knew that this, this other relationship is over. This was a couple of years after that, gotcha. two, three years after that. And I, just, I, just, I, I, I saw her pursue the Lord. And I, taught, I said, Lord, if you ever bring my ex-wife back into my life or you bring another lady into my life, I want her to love you more than me. Because <laughs> yeah. if she loves you, then she'll love me. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, and that uh, lady now is uh, um, my wife of 28 years named Vicki. That's amazing. And uh, we uh, started dating and uh, we just never looked back. She's a she's a godly woman. She you, is you, my knowing her. You did outpunt your coverage. Oh, yeah, married up. 
You <laughs> married <laughs> up for sure. We yeah. all have. <laughs> yeah. Except but for Creighton. She, she is a thanks, ma'am. She is a precious lady. Uh, uh, my sons eventually came to live with us. Okay. Uh, they 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 saw the difference there. The they wanted to go into everything, but no, they, that's fine. They just saw our lives, and that's what they wanted. They came to live with us a while, and they went to college, and you know different things. And and uh, so you're and, working a secular job. You meet this gal at church. You guys hit it off. You get married. Um, how did you get back into ministry? Well, we were working we, a job. I mean, life is. Life is kind of rebounded for you. Well, why go back into the lion's den? <laughs> well, before before we got married, uh, the singles pastor was called away to a church up in Pennsylvania and talked with me that he had talked with the elders and recommended that I take over the singles class. <laughs> you got you got you got ambushed. Well, and the, my first response was. Uh, you know, I would, I would just didn't want to. I, I, I thought I was done. I hadn't gotten to that point yet because I'd been divorced. I hadn't got to that point where I understood the whole realm of divorce and remarriage and what have you. Uh-huh. That I just felt like, you know, well, I get, old Southern Baptist, you're totally disqualified. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and this was a Southern Baptist church. Yeah. So um, it's like the I, I said, okay. I said, yes, uh, I, you know, it's just the Lord just keeping me, moving me where he was w- taking me and where he wanted me to be. And so... But now uh, you're entering this not performance-based. Yeah. You got oh, grace. Yeah. And so um, I, I took over the class, and I'm teaching the Christ life. That's everything from A to Z is the Christ life. Everything in the Bible is the Christ life. And uh, so we started growing, but where we really started growing in that class was when um, I got a hold of the Divorce Care Ministry. It's a video-driven, small discussion group-driven um, uh, ministry. Mm-hmm. We were the first church in the Southeast to do divorce care. No other church other than it came out of North Carolina. No one had it, and I got a hold of it. I, I went through it, and I, I needed to... To, to watch it as well. It ministered to you first. It ministered to me first. So we we started it, and uh, our singles ministry grew tremendously because of divorce care. God began to heal people and help people. I mean, our class of, you know, 20 people grew to 100. We had our own child care ministry. It was like a little, <laughs> like a little church. Church in a church. Um, so eventually... Um, I, I was I'd been there for several years uh, as the semi um, uh, part time single shepherd. Right. Okay. At that point in time, I, I went back to seminary. I went to Luther Rice Seminary in Lithonia, Georgia, and I would travel down every, one day every week. And I graduated there with a master's in a divinity theology. And so I thought, well, what I do now? I mean, you know, no one's at my door, so uh, I started a parachurch singles leadership ministry, and I felt like maybe this is the direction I uh, need to go, and so I went up and told uh, Eddie, who was my supervisor, he was an associate pastor, I was under his his uh, uh, shepherding, 
and I said, you know, um, I'm, 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 I'm going to resign as a singles pastor. And it kind of shocked him. And he said, um, I told him what I was going to do. He said, well, you know, I, I'm the lookout's chaplain, and I'm pastor here. Don't you think you could do both? And uh, he said, well, think about it. Before you make a, a decision, and what he knew was going on behind the scenes, they were discussing me of calling me on staff as a single adult and Bible fellowship pastor okay, so there. Right. And uh, so, sure enough, uh, they did. And um, I became, you know, even one of the teaching pastors for a while. And I, I, adult ministries and single adult ministries, men ministries, senior, senior adult ministries. I mean, I had a lot of hats, but my main uh, was single adult ministry. It was a point where after about um, 16 years I was there. Let's see, is that right? 16 or 17 years, I just felt like, you know, I was doing more um, administrative stuff than where my passion was. Yeah, and, over you know, time I, that can Yeah, that can I mean, happen, I was yeah. just, you know, in, in, in preparation for teaching on Sunday mornings and then, you know, doing some stuff on Sunday night. I mean, you know, just you were pulled in too many different directions. So I, um, I resigned and uh, left there, took a year off, sabbatical, and um, some um, friends that I made through um, uh, CBMC coaching um, um, invited me to Calvary Chapel. I didn't know anything about Calvary Chapel. This is in Chattanooga. This is in Chattanooga. I knew I'd heard there was a Calvary Chapel, didn't know anything about it. And so we went. And on, a, on a Sunday, Vicky and I went, and we're just pleasantly surprised of just because I we were used to it. Wilton Park, it was expository, right? Teaching verse by verse, chapter by that chapter, and uh, so we were used to that, you know. And uh, we, we just we stayed there for about a year, and loved it. Didn't really get involved a whole lot. We had a big church, and right. you know, uh, so. During that time, I started a divorce care ministry over in North Georgia, just kind of a parachurch type of ministry. We were having people come to that. And then I felt like Lord, the Lord wanted me to start a church in Ringo, where we lived, which was on a yeah, bedroom on the community side, yeah. of uh, Chattanooga. So we, uh, I started Parkway Bible Chapel, just a non-denominational Bible teaching church. And, um, but in... Uh, and, 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 and so I kept reading about Calvary Chapel. Now, I would meet with Frank, and we would talk and what have you. Frank said, is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Chattanooga. Yeah, Frank right. Ramsure. And he suggested that I um, give Sandy a call. Sandy Adams, your dad. That's my pops. Yeah. Uh, about the ministry camp, weekend-type ministry camp. Yeah. So um, uh, I talked to him. He had, had me read a book. Um, um, oh, I can't. I can't think of the the, the the author's name. Maybe it'll come to me in a minute. Um, he probably had you read a book. Joy Unspeakable. Sa- probably Joy- written written by Sandy Adams. No, no. <laughs> it, it was a, a book that he read at twenty two years old when he yeah. was twenty two. Yes. And uh, called Joy Unspeakable. Yes. Um, it was a powerful book. It answered a lot of my questions. So I I went down to uh, Stone Mountain. Stayed the weekend, stayed with my uh, son because he lives in Loganville. And um, at the end of it all, I mean, I was really, really blessed and impressed uh, 
and when all the guys we were at Sandy's house and having dinner and afterwards he was going around the room and talking with guys and they they had already made plans to start a Calvary Chapel and I was different I was I'd come down there for more investigative right. I, I didn't know I didn't know I don't know like, what, what I'm is doing. this exactly yeah <laughs> and so I, that's what I said I said I'm more investigative I'm and so I actually decided to jump through the hoops and go through um, the uh, uh, prerequisites. The affiliation of, process. Affiliation process. It was better than seminary. I, <laughs> I, I couldn't get enough of it. I loved it. And so that's when we decided to, uh, we didn't change the name of the church with the federal and state and what have you. Right. We, did, we just did a DBA, doing business as Calvary Chapel Ringgold. And so we, we uh, went forward as a Calvary Chapel. I was there for about 12 years. Uh, we had assistant pastor, and now he's the pastor there. Um, with my health and um, my one son living in Fort Worth, Texas, and another living in Loganville, Georgia, we really didn't have anybody there. My parents were gone. My sisters lived there in Chattanooga, but they had their own families. And so we just said, let's, let's move down. So we moved down to uh, Loganville, lived with my son for a year and a half. We built a house. Uh, we'd gone to uh, Stone Mountain Calvary Chapel a few times. We were going to kind of uh, First Baptist of Loganville. And I said, surely there's a Calvary Chapel somewhere around here. So we started looking and said, See, Calvary 316. We thought it was in Athens, and we didn't know our way around. And so finally, we showed up on a Sunday morning, and... Um, were blessed and I I remember I emailed your dad and I said you ought to be proud of your son he's a he's a he's an excellent expositor and uh and you were in Revelation chapter 20 I'll never forget it (laughs) when a nice place for a visitor to to jump in so we've been coming ever since so just with your opportunity to try to this is such a hard question to ask in, in its broadest sense but um, from your life, your experiences, um, what, what would be the one summary, summary idea that you would want to leave somebody with about like, I'm Mike Bauer and this is what you need to know about me, about, about Jesus. Like what, if you could sum it all up into like one thing, you know, where would that land? I know that's such a hard question. Um, well, I'm just grateful that, uh, for God's mercy and His grace, every day, every day. Um, I mean, I guess one of the things that I remember going to one of the Deep South Pastor conferences, and I can't remember the pastor's name. He's out in California, kind of grew up under um, under Chuck. Okay, Pastor Chuck. Yeah, yeah. And um, he um, he said that you know in the big movement out. Uh, when God began to move out in California. You know, at the same time, when God was moving in California, he was actually moving moving in the southeast in Chattanooga, Tennessee, because a bunch of us got saved. I mean, God was moving. There was uh, something going on. And, and Well, he, my, my dad, the same, that happened to him in Georgia. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was not in Cal- California, yeah. you know, when all of that was happening. He, it was just God was moving across the country. But uh, he, he said that... Um, he said the people that stayed uh, with Calvary Chapel and 
and are here ministering after all these years are those who stayed in the Word. Hmm. And that was my success, was uh, I love the Word of God. I read the Word of God. I never gave up on the Word of God. The Word of God has been my... Is my bread and my water. My wife every and I every morning we get up and have yeah. a cup of coffee and we read our Bibles, and then we read the Daily Light and then we pray together and we'll spend a good time praying. Well, we're retired. We've got time to do that, and and <laughs> yeah. you know we praying for you during every day and the yes, healing and and just the entire church. The people we think about there we're getting to know, but um, that you'll never succeed in your Christian life apart from the Word. Amen. It, it just won't happen. And um, so I, I want people to know that I love the Word. I love Jesus. Um, I, I'm not here to perform. I'm not here to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need a, um, a, a, a ministry, a title to do ministry. My neighbor is wanting me to disciple him now. Um, I speak with people in the marketplace about Jesus. Um, uh, You're on the Outlaw Radio Show telling people about Jesus. <laughs> so that's that's awesome. You know the Word of God. You know you've mentioned several times the um, the Christ centered life. Yeah. It's impossible to be Christ centered. You know he he describes himself, defines himself as the Word. You know the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then in Revelation he. he he actually is named the Word of God. You can't have a Christ-centered life if your life is not based on the written Word. You know, you, you'll never know the, the living Word without the written Word. And, uh, and that's such a consistent and fluid thought. And you go back, like the consistency of that, that idea throughout your story of, of when you were younger and, and, and you kind of hit rock bottom and weren't sure where to go. And you came back to the Word. And then you started eating that you know the, the manna from heaven and... And then when, after those years of performance-driven, and, and again, you hit rock bottom again, it, it, it was the Word, and it was that grace that came from the Word. Um, every step along the way, what, what a powerful, powerful testimony, just the, well, and the I want, simplicity of God's Word. Yeah, and I want people to, to know that at the moment you enter into a relationship with Christ, He exchanges His life for your old dead life. Hmm. And so, therefore... He wants to live his life through me. I, 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 I can't. My dead life is, is dead. It, it can't be brought to life again. I have his life within me, and he wants to live that life through me. I, I can't live it. He lives it through me. Amen. Craig, you have any, any questions? I know you've just kind of been chilling listening. Easy night for you. Yeah, this has been very nice. Uh, I very much enjoyed this. Thank you. Um, it is, it's really encouraging to see someone who's been fighting the fight for so long because, you know, you don't see it very often. A lot of the times when you meet somebody who's been in the ministry for, you know, I mean, if you were to, how much time altogether, probably 40 years, 40, about 47. Yeah. A lot of the times when you meet somebody like that, it's at some point in there, they had, you know, a major problem. <laughs> Um, and it's very encouraging to hear someone who's been doing it for so long and has been successful. 
and, and awesome. understood very and, cool and understood what success is. Yes. Success is not how big your church is. It's not how the books you've written or, you know, the following that you have, or again, that, you know, going back to the, just the performance driven mm-hmm. nature of, of the business that we judge, we judge a pastor's success on the number of converts, the number of this, the number of that. It's like, it's like, well, wait a second. Then, I mean, how do you judge Jeremiah? Who's right. one of the greatest prophets guy ministered for 40 years and didn't convert anyone. Um, you know, I mean, like, again, the way that we, that way that we judge success is wrong, is wrong. And that's what I think is such, such a, a an encouraging, encouraging thing, but just getting to know you, Mike, just, um, you're very, you're very successful mm-hmm. in all the ways that the world would never necessarily judge, but that Jesus does. Um, you know, you leave behind yourself a wake of changed lives. And, and that's how, that's how you can judge. You can, ju- you can judge a pastor, the individuals that he touched and, and changed. Mm. So again, man, thank you so much for being on the show. You got any, uh, any, any parting, any parting comment? No, no, I, I just appreciate being a part of Calvary 316. Amen. And, um, and, and, you know, uh, abiding, resting in Christ is a choice that we make moment by moment. Amen. Mm. Amen. Creighton, anything else? Nope. I am good. I thought this was a good episode. All right. Well, I'm going to hit the music and give you a little rollout. If you've been watching live tonight, uh, check out the podcast. The podcast is released on Thursday. If you're listening to the podcast, check out the live stream. Uh, 8 p.m. Wednesday nights, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we live stream the recording of the podcast. And so, again, if you're watching, check out the podcast. If you're listening, check out the live stream. With all that being said, my name is Zach Adams. I'm so glad that you joined me tonight. And I hope you join me this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show.